0: holiness is dangerous holiness is dangerous Jesus once said fear not him who can kill the body fear him who can kill the body and soul in hell Hebrews 10 states fear God's fury of fire That will consume the adversaries. And so the psalmist commands serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What we are doing here in this hour, what we are doing before the Lord this morning is dangerous. Worship is dangerous. Now, today's Christianity is a mile wide and an inch thick. It lacks the rich theological heritage of yesteryear. And this is only evidence of a greater problem. The great sin in the church today is that she has conformed God to our expectations. Which is that of an easygoing God. Dale Davies writes, I quote, we have formed a graven image of the casual God. His essence is tolerance. Nice, he's nice rather than holy. He's the man upstairs. Rather than majestic in holiness. So Christians aren't ashamed to drive around with bumper stickers that say God is my co-pilot. God is co-nothing, God is not co anything. God is King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord Sabaoth, judge of the whole earth, holy, holy, holy. And where there is an absence of godly fear, there will be a lack of truth. So, Reformation begins when we bow in fear before the Lord, our maker. The holiness of God is our text this morning, and the title of my sermon is Holiness is Dangerous. Holiness is dangerous. My first point, holiness kills. Holiness is dangerous because holiness kills. Chapter 5, verse 1, when the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Now, Ashdod was an important city, It was an important center of worship in Philistia. Then the Philistines, it says, verse 2, took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. Now, this is theology here. And what they're doing is very theological, the Philistines. It's a a theology of worship. You see, the Philistines have just marched out against Israel and they defeated the Israelites. And that is, Dagon defeated Israel. Yahweh on the divine battlefield. And so now Yahweh will serve Dagon in Dagon's holy temple. And worship is the context of this chapter. This is a chapter on worship. As a matter of fact, we have been in worship since 1 Samuel 1. 1. When we read verse 28, and Samuel worshiped the Lord there. In worship, Samuel grew into this godly minister, as we have seen in chapter 2, verse 26, it writes, and the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. And because he grew in favor with the Lord and because he grew in favor of men, the word of the Lord came to Samuel and the word of the Lord, the ministry of the word, came to all the Israelites. Chapter 4, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And as we saw last week, as the word of the Lord came to Israel, there was still ungodliness in the house of the Lord. And so the Lord cleaned house. And the Lord destroyed Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were false ministers, so he's he's cleaned house. And now in chapters 5 and 6, God's holy gaze stares out into the land of Israel, into the promised land, and there it's defiled. And as he stares at his holy gaze over this land, wrath is coming. And in these chapters we learn that not every worship service is acceptable worship. Not every worship service, and we don't gauge the acceptability of worship by the performer. We don't look at the performer and say, well, he's so sincere. Look how sincere, look how passionate the worshiper is. Such emotion, tears, joy. He's excited. And the worship is fun. And everyone's doing it this way. That's why we do it this way. Matter of fact, I like it. But what's the problem with all of these? The problem is here in our text. God is holy. God is holy. Holy means God is majestic, glorious, and beyond reproach. And there is an infinite distance that separates God from all creatures. Exodus 15, 11. we read, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like our God? And the answer means, the answer is none. No one. And that answer means that we cannot worship God how we please Because God is holy, we can't worship God as we feel what is right in our own hearts, our way to worship God. We must worship God as God wants to be worshipped. And because he's a holy God, we must worship God as he commands or else. It's sola scriptura in worship. We must do the Bible alone in worship, for our God is a consuming else, and the or else is God's holiness, and holiness is dangerous. Acceptable worship is consecrated by God alone. Everything else is profane, and profane means unbiblical Profane worship is man-made worship. Worship according to our likes. Worship according to our dislikes. Worship according to my commandments. Worship according to my opinions. And they're all worthless because God is holy. And when we place our likes and dislikes beside God's word or worse, beyond God's word, we call that profanity idolatry. And when we learn in 1 Samuel is that holiness kills idols. Chapter 5, verse 3, And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. I love this. They rise early the next morning. Now, according to Torah, the early morning hour was a time of worship. We call it? Matins, Latin for morning prayer. And I love the text here because these pagans wake up the next morning and look at Dagon, he's in Matins. He's at Matins and notice it's as he's face down on the ground in prayer to Yahweh, who's the superior. I love it. Dagon at Mass or Dagon at Matins. He's in a posture of reverence submission. That's good theology. And then the priests come in, it says, so they took Dagon and he put him back in his place. Now that's bad theology. And it's bad theology because they're putting, you know, Dagon next to uh, the ark, picture of Yahweh's presence. But it's bad theology in this. How powerful is your God if he can't even pick himself up? And, And you expect this God to deliver you? Isaiah the prophet writes or says of the idolater, Isaiah says, the idolater plants a tree and then the rain nourishes it. And then he comes along, he cuts it down for fuel. He warms his home, cooks dinner over it. And with the other house, with the other half of the tree, he makes a God and says, you are my God, deliver me. That's Isaiah mocking idolatry. And the ancient poet Horace mockingly wrote, I quote, once I was a trunk of a fig tree, a useless piece of wood, when a carpenter, uncertain whether to make me a bench or a god, preferred that I should be a god, and so I became a god. <laughs> and that's the foolishness of idolatry. So idolatry is stupid. But unfortunately, there is a subtle paganism in Christianity this day. And you see that subtle paganism anywhere God is used rather than worship and obeyed. Anywhere God is used for my best life now rather than worshiped with fear and awe and given reference. It's where his Bible is, you know, played with. But it's not taught. And the people aren't following and walking close to their God. It's where the minister preaches Our story, try harder, do more. You can do it rather than God's story. Verse 4. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen down, fallen face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. He's in Matins again. But this time, Yahweh performed a ritual execution of Dagon. And the head of Dagon, and both his hands, were lying cut off on the threshold. Yahweh mercilessly beheaded Dagon. You see, holiness kills. And he kills not only idols. Verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both in Ashdod and its territory. You ever heard that old saying, God hates sins, but not the sinners? You should tell that to the Ashdodites. <laughs> well, God hates sins, not the sinners. Are you kidding me? Holiness kills Sinners. And the wrath of God, Paul says, is being revealed against ungodly men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You see, the Ash, adadites were idolaters. And we also see here in our text, they're terrible neighbors. But after they, had, they brought it, you know, the hand of the Lord was against them. And when the men of Ashdod saw how terrible the things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us. And against Dagon, our God. So they sent and they gathered together the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do? They answered, Take the ark of God to Gath. Let's give it to our neighbors. You know, that's not very neighborly. And when the ark of God came to Gath, it wasn't just a great terror, but the text says a very great panic, verse 9. But if they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. And he inflicted the men of the city, both old, young and old, so that tumors broke out on all of them. And so the hand of the Lord is heavy. He plagued harm on everyone, old and young. And then they try to pass the buck. They want to get rid of it, verse 10. They called out and said, let's send it to Ekron. And then Ekron said, with friends like these, who needs enemies? And Ekron said, we're not having it. We're not having the ark, verse 10. As soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought round to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. So they sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own people, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. God was against these people. If God is against us, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. Verse 12, and the men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. And what we're seeing here in this text, friends, is that holiness is dangerous. Holiness is dangerous. and We must take care before coming before the Lord. It's one reason we prepare our hearts in worship. Right before we worship the Lord, we prepare our hearts, we get our hearts and our right and our and our day right before the Lord, before we come into his presence. Because we recognize that God is a holy God. And we begin our worship giving God glory, right? We enter his courts with thanksgiving, we give him glory and praise, but no sooner do we praise the Lord do we then humble ourselves. We humble ourselves through the reading of the law. And there we repent of our sins before a holy God. And there we confess that we are helpless. We need His dependence. We need His care. We need a sense of awe and worship and worship, reverence and worship. It's formality, liturgy, worship ordered by God's decree. God calls and we respond with a declaration of dependence, where in humility we sing praises to the Lord only to lower ourselves before the Lord because we confess that we're not worthy to stand before the presence of a holy God. As David said, I am like dust before the Lord. But then we stand for the call, the gospel. And we stand for the declaration of pardon where we hear God, where we hear that we are worthy to stand before a holy God, but only in Christ. We worship our great God and King. You see, liturgy and worship, liturgy is worship. Liturgy is worship in, with, and through Christ. Liturgy is worship in, with, and through Christ. And We need Christ for it is a terrible thing, God's holiness. Now, the ark was a terror and plague, and nobody wanted it, so they decided to give it back, but they had one problem, chapter 6. It's there for seven months, and then chapter 6, and the Philistines called for the priests. Now, I love this, because the Philistine lords, the Philistine leaders recognized that they, didn't have, they, they, recognized that they needed an authority. They didn't presume, presume their own authority. Oh, I know how to handle this ark. We know what to do with religion. Here's how we'll do it. No, I love that they, they turned to the clergy. They turned to the clergy, but unfortunately, this clergy was, you know, did what was right in their own eyes. And so the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? It's a good question. Tell us, with what shall we send it to its place? Now, unfortunately, like Israel, who during the time of the judges did what was right in their own eyes, these pagans did paganism too. They said, verse 3, they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. Now, I like guilt offering. Guilt offering, the Torah calls for a guilt offering. God commanded the Israelites to give a guilt offering. And there's actually a guilt offering in Leviticus for this very situation. If they had Torah, if they knew what to do, they could turn to Torah and they knew how to worship God rightly. There's an exact specification for the situation. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Leviticus or you can just listen, follow along. Leviticus chapter six. Leviticus six, verses four and seven. This is the prescription of the Lord, a guilt offering for this specific situation. If he has sinned, if someone has sinned and realized his guilt and restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression, and that's the Philistines, oppressed the Israelites and they took from the Israelites. Verse 5, if he does these things, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priests, the priest as his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of his flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement from him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do, and thereby become guilty. So it's a guilt offering, but we don't really expect these pagans to keep it, do we? No, and they don't. You know, they they said, hey, let's uh, make five golden tumors and five golden mice. According to the number of the lords of the philip, they basically said, hey, let's make idols. (laughs) They recognized the necessity of the guilt offering, but they didn't turn to God's God's word. And really what they're looking for is a question, an answer to the question. When they said, what shall we do? He says, if you send away the ark, excuse me, I'm in verse 3. They said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why. Why? His hand does not turn away from you. Why? And we know the answer. The answer is because they are not worshiping the Lord as he commanded. That's why the Lord's hand was on them. And God is a consuming fire, and he must be worshipped acceptably. God must be worshipped as he commands or else. I'm often asked by people, why are you reformed? Why are you reformed? Tulip is not my first answer. Tulip is not my second answer. Tulip is not my third, fourth, or fifth answer. My first answer why I'm reformed is here, worship. I want to worship God rightly. Worship reformed according to the word of God. You see, it is dangerous to come before a holy God. It's too dangerous. Verse 5 says, so you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice and ra- that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps, now notice this, highlight this, perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Here's how dangerous God's holiness is. His hand was upon the people, the religion, and their land. That's like everything. That's culture. (laughs) That's the result of their idolatry. God attacked their bodies, their gods, and their land. Holiness is dangerous. Holiness kills Verse 6, they ask, why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? After he dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? Now, I love it. You know, they're looking at their history. History is important, right? You got to know your past so you don't repeat it. So they don't want to be like the, the Egyptians. So they said, verse 7, now then, take, a, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never, been, there's never came a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves back home, away from them. Now, what's going on here? Why these milk cows? You see, a milk cow, naturally, what is a milk cow going to do when you take its unweaned calf away from it? And the unweaned calf is going to be doing what in the stall back home? It's going to be calling for mommy. (laughs) And naturally, if you just let the cow go, you you can yoke it, but as soon as you let it go, where's that cow going to go? Where's those milk cows going to go? They're going to go back to their unweaned milk cows, or excuse me, to their, young, to their young, to milk them. It's natural. But here the Philistines want to see something unnatural. They want to test to see that really, if Yahweh is really against them. So they said, take them away, take these little calves away, and take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side the figures of gold, which we are returning These idols then send it off and let it go its way, and watch, verse 9, watch. They're testing. If it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done all this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. So they want to know, is Yahweh really against us, or is this all happenstance? And we know the answer. Right? It says here, verse 10, so the men, they took the cows and they yoked them and they did all that. Verse 12, they put all the stuff on there. Verse 12, and the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along the one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the left nor to the right. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. And I love to hear the Lord answers. You know, they tested the Lord and the Lord answers. This is a divine revelation. And call it the milk cow revelation. <laughs> I mean, the Lord's spoken through donkeys, right? He spoke through a donkey. In the Old Testament, he spoke in various ways. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through signs. He spoke, spoke through milk cows. But the question for us in our text is this Would they obey this revelation? What will they do with the revelation? Would they, would they fear the obvious, real, and living God who just smote them? Or are they going to return to their just worthless, broke-down religion that's handing, you know, laying there in their temple, broken and dead? And here we're reminded to not forget the holiness of God. You see, God is good. And God brings calm to his people, right? He brings us rest. He gives us peace. And we can become comfortable with God. He calls us into his presence and and we pray and we come into his presence and he calls us to intimacy and we are intimate with our God but we can there become comfortable, too comfortable. You see, God wants you to be intimate. God wants intimacy but he does not want familiarity. He's God. He wants you there but don't become complacent. Don't Become complacent in religion. Remember, you are coming in prayer before a holy God. We need to recognize the holiness of God. We can easily go back to using God rather than fearing Him, and so we need the church. We need the church in worship to present to us a holy God that we realize we are worshiping God with fear, with reverence. We need to worship God with reverence and awe. It reminds us of our place. You see, it's our sin to be like God. And we at least try to lower him to make it a level playing field. So we need church to remind us of God's holiness, to call us together with reverence and all, lest we forget. We cannot forget holiness is dangerous. Verse 13, now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. So the ark is back home. And it's good, and the people are now going to worship the Lord. Now Beth Shemesh was a Levitical city. That's important to realize. Beth Shemesh was a litical, Levitical town. And in this town was the clan of Kohath, the Kohathites. You're very familiar with the Kohathites? (laughs) You know your Old Testament? The Kohathites, they're the ones responsible for caring for the ark. It just so happens that the ark goes back to the clan of the people that Leviticus commands to take care of the ark of the Lord. And these Kohathites in this Levitical city, they worship God. It's a good thing. Verse 14, the cart came in the field. It stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's wonderful. They're worshiping the Lord with these two cows. Now, the question you've got to ask yourself, does Leviticus command the sacrifice of milk cows? It forbids it. So we're in a Levitical town and they're worshiping rightly, but they're not worshiping rightly. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord in the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them on the great stone. They put idols beside the ark. It's not looking so good. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned. They said, hey, it worked. We're good. We're free and clear. So they go home. And then the men of Israel, here in Beth Shemesh, they worshiped the Lord, and for it, God struck them down, verse 19. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh. He struck down his own people. Notice why? Because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. The commandment to the Kohathites in Leviticus is this do not look at the ark. When they would go in the Holy of Holies, they had to go in backwards basically, and they would throw a covering over it. They could not look upon it. It had to be covered when they were transporting it and moving it. Covered. They were not allowed to look at it. But here they failed God's word. And it says in the ESV, it says, He struck. 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Now, the best manuscript evidence supports a much larger number of casualties. When I was in seminary, we were told always trust the Masoretic text. I know that's going beyond your understanding, but the Masoretic text reads as the NASB, the NASB reads He struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down of all the peoples. 50,070. Now, scholars, some scholars will look at that number and be like, that number's too great, so we'll just go with 70. (laughs) Because there's some manuscript evidence that supports 70, but it's late. It's not as good as the older manuscripts. The better manuscripts, 50,000. You see, the Philistines just struck down 30,000. But God in his holiness has now struck down 50,000. 50,000 of his own people. Now, we can recognize and we understand why God slaughtered the pagans. Yes, they're idolaters. They deserve the punishment. But what about these people of God, these Kohathites, the Levitical class, caste family of God? Because they did not do what God commanded. God struck them down in worship. Because holiness is dangerous. Perhaps it's most dangerous for God's own people. Think about it. Think about Leviticus ten if you have your Bibles. Sorry, we just keep going Leviticus. It's just we need to. (laughs) Leviticus ten, verses one and two. Very famous chapter for reform types. Now Nadab and Abihu the sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered the authorized fire before the, oh excuse me unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now everything's good here. You got Nadab and Abihu, they're two priests, they're sons of Aaron. They're worshiping the Lord. You got to have censer, you got to have fire, you got to lay your incense and you got to offer all this. But there's one problem. And it's a very small problem. They offered unauthorized fire. That is what. Incense They kind of got tired of the old incense. It's the same incense every day, the same thing every day. Let's make it fresh. Let's excite. Let's get some excitement in here. Let's let's be contemporary. Those are old scents. Let's get a new sense. So they changed one little thing, just one little minor, you know, difference from God's word. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And notice the clause. This is what you highlight. Highlight this, underline it, put a star by it, memorize it, which he had not commanded them. So they changed the incense. One little thing that God did not command, verse 2, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That fire comes from the mercy seat, where in the place of grace... They received wrath. Where God was to consume the sacrifice, He consumed the sacrificer. Because holiness is dangerous. Now, you might say, yeah, but Pastor, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament believers, right? We don't have to worry about God's holiness, really. What does Hebrews say? And we're very familiar with Hebrews. It's almost, you could say, the life verse of this church. Hebrews 12, 28. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God, what? Acceptable worship. What kind of worship is acceptable worship? That which I have Commanded, And why must we offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe? For our God is a consuming fire. Consuming fire means same God, same holiness. We need to have the same fear. We must say with the best Shemesh peoples, who is able to stand before this holy God, as they say, verse 20? Who then? Is able to stand before this holy God. You see, worship is dangerous. And it's dangerous without a mediator. And holiness must be seen through the lens of the gospel. You see, the holiness of God killed Christ who died in our place. And Christ died by the holiness of God to protect us from God, to protect us from His holiness. And then in Christ, the unholy becomes the holy. You see, God doesn't keep holiness to himself, but he freely gives it. He freely gives his son who died on our place. And if you believe in Christ, you are the holiness of God as if if you've never sinned or been a sinner, as if you've been perfectly obedient as Christ has been obedient for you in your place. And he is now filling you with glory. And you are filled with the glory of the Lord. And you can stand boldly in the place of wrath. You can come boldly before a triune God. You can call God your heavenly father. But you should still tremble before him. And while you tremble, recognize that you are loved. Fear God and know that you are loved by God. Find your only comfort in life and in death in Christ, for he is good, but he is not safe. He still demands acceptable worship. So holiness is our peace, and holiness is dangerous. And we must forever hold these two together. And now to the triune God be glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.